When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. If you see her, say hello. She might be in Tangier. She left here last early spring, is living there, I hear. Say for me that I'm all right, though things get kind of slow. She might think that I've forgotten her. Don't tell her it isn't so. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly, and joining me to talk about If You See Her, Say Hello, from the 1975 masterpiece, but on the tracks, is fellow Bobcat, Leslie Paul Freeman. Hi, Leslie. Hello. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I very much appreciate you volunteering up on Twitter. You, I think you even put it as a, I volunteer as tribute did, uh, to yeah. be on the show, which I very much appreciate. So thank you for, for being here. I'm very excited to talk about uh, this song. I mean, it's, geez, I was about to say one of the great songs. That's ridiculous. Of course it is. Uh, but it's, we're talking about Blood on the Track, which is always fun. We only have a couple of songs left of this record to cover. So I'm excited to talk about the myriad versions of this song, <laughs> way more than I even knew uh, existed. But before we get to that, Leslie, I have to ask you, of course, how did you become a fan of Bob? Um, it's been a long journey. I was obviously thinking about this, and I was actually thinking about it earlier this year when it was his birthday. I was kind of doing a whole, like, playlist and um, going, I went to, like, a Bob tribute show, so I was kind of just, like, thinking back on it. Um, and it's been a lot of kind of different flashpoints. I think the first one was when I was 14. Uh, did you ever see the movie Moonlight Mile? Uh, no, I've not seen okay. it. Uh, it was a 2002 movie. It came out when I was 14. It was like an indie movie with Jake Gyllenhaal and Susan Sarandon and Dustin Hoffman. Uh, and Jake it was Gyllenhaal. one of, Yeah, I know. That scarf thief, damn it. <laughs> it's a weird week to talk about Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was like when I was starting to get into film and I was felt like I was like a cool indie kid watching this like indie movie and I bought the soundtrack um that had a lot of 70s classics because that's when the movie is set and so it kind of had kind of like b-sides like it has razor face by elm john and sweet head by david bowie um and one of the songs on there was buckets of rain and like obviously they knew bob dylan like raised knowing like the classics as everyone like comes out of the womb knowing like his famous songs at this point <laughs> but i this was like the first time where i was like oh there's something beyond like the the canon in popular culture like there are other songs that are also incredible and maybe I should like look into them a little bit so that was the first thing but it's still it was like a lot of it's kind of cycles to go through I felt like when I was younger I was really only into like the folk early folk stuff and things like blood on the tracks and then when I got into college of course I feel like everyone goes through like the electric trilogy like <laughs> punk bob like coolest thing ever and then i feel like i never really fully like invested in the later stuff i had a hard time with some of the later stuff until um i finally saw him not that long ago for the first time oh. and that i feel like that was when i was finally like okay i can i can listen to like everything and i understand it now <laughs> like albums that i didn't really get when i was younger so it's been a long process so, all right, so when you say the later stuff, that, that could yeah. be a lot of different <laughs> – <Yeah. laughs> that, that can accompany a lot of time. What are we talking about? Like 21st century? Before that? What's, um, what, what's the time span there? Honestly, anything like after Blood on the Tracks, I feel, Whoa. was like 
I mean, obviously the Christian period was like weird for, for me for a long time. And I still like, I still don't listen to a ton of it. I love shot of loved, but I'm not so much into saved. Like, I feel like at, I feel like at some point there will be an era where I go and just listen to saved all the time, but that hasn't <laughs> arrived yet. And then, yeah, obviously the mid to late eighties is like a rough, a rough patch. <laughs> and then, yeah, I just had a hard, like when I was younger, I feel like I just had a hard time with his like old, old man voice, to be honest. Um, see all the 21st century stuff I did kind of like time out of mind because I I felt like I had to listen to that because it was such a big album and like Grammy winning and stuff so I did get into that a little bit but yeah I kind of had a hard time with his older voice and all that kind of stuff and then I, I was kind of put off seeing him live um, kind of like one of your one of the guests you had recently when you were talking about Mr. Tambourine Man, she was kind of oh, saying yeah. that like her dad had kind of dissuaded her from seeing Bob Dylan because <laughs> he said how terrible he was. And I I definitely had a similar experience where I mean I heard from a lot of sources that it was like you can't understand anything he says and his voice is so bad and blah 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 blah. And my dad was one of those people that he had seen him. I honestly don't know when he saw him, but I remember at some point he said that he had gone to see Bob Dylan. He was like, it was the worst show I've ever seen. <laughs> like you couldn't hear anything he said. And I was like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Cause I don't want it to ruin like the music for me or put me off him or anything. So I kind of like, just didn't really think about going to see him for a really long time. And then in 2016, when like Bowie died and Prince died and I never saw either of them uh, I was like nope I gotta like I gotta see some people I have some people that I need to see because I'm tired of all these people dying and I never got to see them so that was kind of like a motivating factor for me that's, a, <laughs> that's grim but understandable know, entirely I, though. I mean that makes that makes total sense I mean yeah. so uh yeah I mean I <laughs> it's it's funny when you say that like the, the later period didn't appeal to you I just can't imagine that a a, a young uh, teenaged uh, woman in post 2001, <laughs> post 9/11 America didn't down in the groove didn't speak to you. Yeah, I just can't believe that. I, I wasn't don't throwing it on, you know. <laughs> you can't please these kids nowadays. I know. So, so when you finally did see him, what, what did you think? Did you in fact enjoy it? Yeah, it, it was at Desert Trip. My friend and I went to the second weekend of Desert Trip, and so it was literally. I think his set was the day after he had won the Nobel Prize. Nice. And so I was like, hi, I'm hyped. Like, this is going to be great. And I had a great time. Um, it was just so different from what I was expecting in the sense that he just doesn't, I, I guess I should have been expecting that like, he doesn't care. He just doesn't care <laughs> in like the bet in a way that I really respected. He just doesn't care about like whether he's the showman that people were wanting and I'm, I can be such a contrarian myself, much like him, that he just didn't buy into the big flashy festival aspect of it all. Like, you know, he played the same day as the Rolling Stones. And so it's just like night and day in their performance styles. Obviously, Mick Jagger is just completely hamming it up all the time. And I love him for it. Um, but Bob was just like, even when they the cameras on the jumbotron were on him it was like they didn't have any camera set up that sh really showed him when he was like at the at the piano the camera was literally like behind his head <laughs> so mm -hmm. i was like a mile away from the stage and like the only thing that you see is like the back of his head like the top of his hat 
And then they had a camera like behind the drum kit. So he was like on the other side of the stage. So I really respected that he was just like, I don't care. And I'm not, I'm just going to like play my music. And, and being the contrarian, there was definitely conversations that I overheard for the rest of the weekend that were just, you know, the old, rich, white LA crowd that had come to see all the bands from their youths. And I heard so many conversations over the weekend that were just like, oh, everyone was amazing except for Bob Dylan and I was like screw you guys you don't understand uh you don't understand what he's doing and it was great so I think that that really kind of like endeared me to him that Mm -hmm. I really respected that he just does what he wants you know he's gonna get up there and he's he did play like a Rolling Stone but like he's also gonna play Pay in Blood and Early Roman Kings (laughs) Uh, which is like not anything that most of the people there know him for, um, mm-hmm. but it's what he wanted to play. So, yeah, it was great. All right, well, that's <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah, I, I like the way he said that that he doesn't care in the best possible way. Yeah, uh, it's not. I don't care that I don't. I don't care that you're here. He does care. He cares very much that his audience is here to see him. But he's not. He's not there to just be an entertainer. He's pursuing his art, and you have to kind of follow along with him a little. Yeah. And he sometimes he leaves people by the side of the road, and that's unfortunate, but he thinks that you'll catch up to him in a certain way, and a lot of times you do. So that's great. I'm glad that you had a good experience when you when you finally did get to see him. Uh, how close were you? I mean, you said there was like a jumbotron, so this must have been a pretty big hall. Yeah, I mean, it was at the, it's at the, same, it was at the same place where Coachella is. Ah, um, okay. So it's gotcha. like a huge field. I was so far away because we're my friends and I were poor. So we were in like the cheap, like general admission seat, like area. Uh, so it was like us and like all the other young people, basically, it was probably some kind of age segregation going on, uh, <laughs> because of a wealth gap situation. But, uh, yeah, so we were like a mile away from the stage, but I could still like pop up and see like his little head at his piano. So by that, by that estimation, I should be in the rich white section now and I'm not. So what have I done wrong? What's going on? Well, I got okay. <laughs> I gotta look I into that. Him. Hold on. I saw him again in twenty nineteen and I was pretty close oh, for one of those shows. So it's 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 a lot easier when it's his individual show, but because it was this huge festival that was like like musical legends from the 60s and 70s it was very expensive gotcha, and I, gotcha. I made a financial sacrifice to go at all because i'd never seen most of the people on the bill and i really wanted to see them so gotcha gotcha okay yeah. well good i'm glad that you had a good experience finally when you saw him so all right let's talk about uh, if you see her say hello i'm getting the sense that blood on the tracks of all the records is your favorite it is, yes. I mean, I know that's a very generic thing to say, but it's hard to disagree with it. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I, I think I made this connect. I think I made this uh, this uh, example on another Blood on the Tracks song that we did. But I feel this way. many, many decades ago. Um, I used to before I had not seen um, Psycho in a really long time. I'd seen it, and it was a masterpiece. But uh, at the time, I was like, you know, people would say, oh, Psycho's Hitchcock's best film. And I'd be like, oh, no, there's a million other better ones. Blah, 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 blah. And then I rewatched Psycho for the first time, you know, in like 10, 15 years. 
And I went, oh, this thing's a mess. This, this is unbelievable how good this is. I mean, there's the reason why yeah. people so often call it his best film. Because it is, in a lot of ways. I mean, it just is. And that's the same thing about Blood on the Tracks. I mean, yeah, it's an obvious answer, but there's a reason why it's an obvious answer. Yeah. Because it's a it's flawless just, album. I mean, yeah. Sometimes so. it's just because that's the right answer. So. Yeah, that's, that's it. So, yeah, If You See or Say Hello, of course, is on side two. Uh, it is the middle song. It follows uh, Lily, Rosemary, and the Jack of Hearts, and it precedes Shelter from the Storm. Now, one of the things, you know, I, I obviously, uh, I don't know everything there is to know about Bob Dylan. Nobody knows everything there is to know about Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan doesn't know everything there is to know about Bob Dylan. That said, when I learn something new in anticipation of a show, I'm always a little, I'm always a little shocked. I'm a little ashamed. And I'm also happy because I've learned something new. Mm-hmm. So, I knew that there were alternate versions of this song, uh, obviously, because uh, especially since the release of the More Blood, More Tracks set, we heard a bunch of alternate versions. But there are way more alternate versions than even I knew. Case in point, (laughs) when I went to pull up this song on BobDylan.com, which was to read the opening verses for the show, there's a bunch of lines here I've never heard him do before. So I had to go and find the quote-unquote original one, the one off of the record. And so this is a song that even though uh, I think most people would agree that the album version is, a, is, a, is fantastic, it's a brilliant song, it's a song that he has seemingly never been quite comfortable with because he keeps messing. I, I, I shouldn't say messing because that has such a pejorative sense to it. But it's a song that he has rewritten almost out of whole cloth a lot, which yeah. is pretty shocking. So let's, let's start with the album version. Uh, that's obviously the one you're most familiar with. Adam, since you've heard these alternate takes, is the album one still the one you kind of sort of lean to as a, you're still your favorite? Definitely of the ones that were recorded for the studio sessions. Um, I feel like with a, I feel like with some of the Blood on the Track songs, I really like the New York versions. I don't want to be one of those people who's like, the New York one is better because I don't think it is, but like idiot wind like i can listen to both of those versions and be like both of these are amazing and if either of them were on the record i think it would have been great but with this song i actually do think that the album version is like way beyond the other takes um like the new york takes that are on more blood more tracks mm-hmm. um i just feel like the vocal performance is so much stronger like it's definitely the most emotionally invested i feel like the first couple solo ones the first two takes are really nice and it has the harmonica solos which are beautiful but i just feel like he's not his voice doesn't seem as emotive as it is in the album version and i do think that the instrumentation on the album version adds so much to it so much depth to it as opposed to like most of the uh, other the New York session ones it's just him and the guitar and the harmonica and then there's the one where he has Tony Brown on bass but the album version like the mandolin yeah and the organ in the like just the light organ in the background like it almost makes me cry every time and I listened to this song so many times to before this podcast and even like 30 minutes ago I was listening to it and I was like man this still just almost brings me to tears just the intro with the mandolin it's just so beautiful um, so I definitely think that he went with the right one in that respect. Yeah, I mean lyrically, the the New York one is definitely a little more a little blunter. I mean, we've got mm-hmm. that line about uh, if you if you're making love to her, kiss her for the kid. 
yeah. uh, who always had respect to her for doing what she did. By the way, which is, of course, quoted in the Blood on the Tracks liner notes by Pete Hamill, yeah. even though he's quoting a version that is not on the record. Yeah. And, you know, when I first got Blood on the Tracks and whenever it was in like 1989 or whatever it was, that confused the living hell out of me <laughs> because I read the liner notes and I'm like, what song? What is he what, quoting? Yeah. What is he quoting? And I didn't, you know, I wasn't as familiar with the myriad versions that Dylan would do of songs. That, that said, the as you mentioned, the, the organ uh, and the mandolin on the album version is so beautiful. And you could hear, you know, you can, of course, take the New York versions and put that in your mind and, and put it on the, the record. And you realize he probably wanted something a lot more, for lack of a better term, kind of pretty yeah. in that spot. Because as I, as I mentioned, it's following Lily Rosemary and the Jekyll Hearts, a song I absolutely love. But it's monotonous, you know, yeah. kind of. Uh, I don't mean, again, I shouldn't say monotonous, but it's repetitive. It's that same da 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 da, and then you know, repeat for eleven minutes or whatever for so it is long, yeah. for so long. And this, he obviously wanted something just kind of pretty sounding, and I think it's that that take is so beautiful that you could see why uh, he decided to put that one. And now it's interesting that, as far as I understand, as far as I've heard, there is no version with that instrumentation, but with the original words. It's that when he decided to come to Minneapolis or Minnesota Minnesota, and recut a bunch of the songs with the local musicians, he also rewrote a lot of the words. And there are no, those original words kind of never made it out of New York. Mm -hmm. So by the time he got to doing them in Minnesota, he was rewriting them. What, in that initial verse, the, um, the, if if you're making love to her, kiss her for the kid. And, and uh, in the album version, he sings, if you get close to her, yeah. Kiss her once for me. I've always had respected her for doing what she did and getting free. I always feel like on the album version, when he says, if you get close, and the way he stretches out close, he says, if you get close, like, I'm sorry, everybody, that's horrible. <laughs> but you know what I mean? He stretches that word out. I almost, it, it almost feels like sometimes he's, he wants to sing the other line, but he's not, and he's going back. What do you, in, in terms of those two verses, uh, do you have a preference? Do you have the one that's, I mean, if you're making love to her, is pretty upfront. Yeah. I like I still like the album version better. I I personally like the line I have always have respected her for doing what she did and getting free because I feel like that is one of the few places on the album where it seems like he's kind of taking responsibility for any failings on his part that led to their breakup and I know that like you try not to delve too much into his personal life, but I feel like on this song, it's incredibly hard to not do that sure. because this song is so raw and like, I'm sorry, it's not about Chekhov. It's about his life. <laughs> um, and so I just like that line that he can acknowledge in that line that like her leaving or them separating is you know, her kind of doing the right thing for herself and maybe Mm -hmm. like he wasn't always the best partner. Um, And I actually wrote down a quote from uh, one of Paul Williams's books because he he talks about the the lyric change. He said that this lyric change, like this verse in particular, he said it could have been enough to motivate the second session by itself uh, because the earlier line, if you're making love to her is rude condescending even though it probably wasn't intended to be and not an acceptable phrase in an album meant to be an olive branch and an act of courtship 
of course, after that, he says, does this mean that I think you're an idiot is acceptable? Yes, though I won't try to explain why. Um, <laughs> so I don't know that I 100% agree with that assessment, but I really thought that it was an interesting thought that maybe Dylan was trying to soften it and be like a little more kind to her or something like that. So I have to wonder, um, I mean, again, I, I'm not familiar with the order of the, of the sessions in terms mm-hmm. of what songs are recorded where, but you have to wonder like, uh, after uh, after he goes and he cuts, you know, Idiot Wind, which is about as nasty as it gets. Uh, you have to wonder if it didn't, the fallout from that song doesn't affect the other songs. You know, yeah, like he's like, yeah. okay, I'm not going to dilute Idiot Wind because that's what makes Idiot Wind work. But it is so nasty and so raw and so mm-hmm. painful that you wonder if he's deciding, all right, let's balance this out a little by being a little nicer on the other songs. And on um, the, I looked at the, the cue sheets that are on the back of Simple Twist of Fate, the book, and it mm-hmm. has this song as being the last song that they recorded in Minneapolis. Oh, okay. So, uh, And it was also the first song that they recorded in New York. So it's the bookend for wow. all okay. of the recordings for the album, it seems like. So that's definitely a possibility. Yeah. Um, so the the original version is it continues on. Oh, whatever makes her happy. I won't stand in the way that the bitter taste still lingers on from the night I tried to make her stay. Uh, and then he says, I see a lot of people as I make the rounds and I hear her name here from there as I go from town to town. I've never gotten used to it. I've just learned to turn it off. Either I'm too sensitive or else I'm getting soft. Now, I think that's kind of funny because either I'm too sensitive or else I'm getting soft. That's the same thing yeah. twice. Yeah. Not, two, those are not opposing ideas. Uh, but I also, you know, I, I think maybe all of us, some of us have been through that where you've had an ex and then their, their name wanders back into conversation through mutual acquaintances. And it's just this kind of, you know, depending on where you are in the relationship or where you are in the, in the, in the breakup, you know, you do have that little flinch. You know, yeah. there's just that little like, hmm, okay, yeah, all right. And I one always, way, oh, go ahead. Sorry. One way that I've also thought about that line too is that like you can be sensitive to affronts towards you, but not be soft towards other people. So it could be that he's speaking of those two things separately. Like I can be sensitive when people are mean to me, but I can be like rude to other people and not be sensitive towards them. Um, so hmm. I kind of thought okay. about it in that sense as well. Sometimes I could see that. Yeah, I never really uh, thought of it that way. I, I what I was uh, what I was thinking about was like in terms of you know does they make the rounds as I hear hear a name here here and there as I go from town to town. I always think about like you know we know that like lots of celebrity couples that are together and then they break up, and you know a lot of people when you break up with someone they're out of your life and if 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 you choose to run your life that way they're out of your life you know they're completely gone but i mean if like i always think about celebrities that date and they're like you know if you break up with someone and say it's particularly acrimonious and then they're like on television every night or they do commercials like how weird is that gotta be yeah to kind of you know to see that and then i think about you know someone like as you were saying obviously these these songs yeah bob they're not about check off they're about your wife now come on let's (laughs) you break up with somebody and then they write this album about your experiences. Like what a surreal existence that's got to be to know uh, Bob himself said on a, on a radio show around the, around the time of the release. Uh, he finds it weird to relate to people who want to hear that kind of pain. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he got, and to know that 
he's writing this about you, or at least you are, it's the inspiration. Uh, and knowing so many people are getting so much out of it and knowing that that happened to you, especially that line about uh, the bitter taste still lingers on from the night I tried to make her stay. That makes it so specific yeah, down to a so particular specific. evening mm-hmm. that he can pinpoint it to. And that's just got to be you know horrendous to contemplate. Yeah. And even just the celebrity status, but also just anytime that you have like overlapping social circles and obviously mm-hmm. after you've intertwined your lives for more than a decade, like you're going to have a lot of the same friends and it's just makes it a lot harder for you to go separate ways uh, and not have your lives completely intertwined. Yeah. Um, the song wraps up with sundown, yellow moon. I replay the past. I know every scene by heart. They all went by so pa- so fast. If she's passing back this way, I'm not that hard to find. Tell her she can look me up if she's got the time, which is, of course, quite the kiss off mm-hmm. there. Uh, the, the, you know, kind of sneering a little bit uh, at this person of like, oh, well, if she's got the time, she can look me up. So it's and then we go into that beautiful kind of mandolin solo. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's funny. It's It's a gentle song and then that final verse is really kind of a like eh, all right i'm i'm pissed off again yeah and it's also like the song slowly very slowly to the way that like i didn't think i ever even realized it until i was listening to the song repeatedly over the last week but throughout the song it like slowly gets f- slightly faster mm-hmm. and the mu- the music also like crescendos the instrumentation gets a little slightly heavier uh, and a little more frantic almost um, by the time he gets to the end. And it's not, it's almost like subconscious, but I think it definitely builds up to this point. Yeah. I mean, ends a little bitterly and, and sad and anxious, I think. Yeah. yeah and said he, the guy can't, the guy can't resist. He can't, yeah. he's talking to this, you know, this uh, unnamed sort of third person and he can't help it, but just sort of throw that dig in. Uh, at her, which is again, just, and and my, again, it might be that had that line been in the more skeletal versions that recorded in New York, it might have even hit yeah. a little harder, a little nastier. Uh, but because it ends with that beautiful sort of solo again at the end, it softens the whole tone of it. It feels nicer than that line kind of suggests. And yet, compared to the versions that come after it, this is the nicest version of that line. Oh, Lord. Um, so, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, on the website, um, again, as I was saying, I'm shocked to see this. I had not noticed how much this has been rewritten for the, on the website. Now, I, I'm not familiar where this version has ever appeared. I don't think I have any version of this where I hear these particular, not at least this sequence. And so, it opens, it says... It starts with you, you see her say hello. You might be in Tangier. And then uh, uh, we had a falling out like lovers. Well, the second line is it's a, it's the city across the water. Yeah. Not too far from here. That's like the line that I've never heard in any version. No. Some of these other lines are similar to I watched some live versions from like the 90s and the 2000s. And some of these other lines are pretty similar to what he was doing then. But yeah, the like city crossed the water not too far from here. I've never heard that in my life. Someone tell me if it's in a live version because I haven't heard all of them, obviously. No, I mean, and again, the idea that uh, the city is just like she might when you say someone's in Tangier for most people, like that's really far away. away. (laughs) Yeah, that's code for the other side of the planet. And now he's saying 
she's in this it's right across the water not too far from here like okay yeah, like where is he yeah yeah exactly where is this guy <laughs> so then he says we had a falling out like lovers sometimes do um but i th- i'd like to think of how she left the night it hurts me through and through and through our situation pierced me to the bone i got to find someone else to take her place i don't like to be alone yeah whoa <laughs> <laughs> yeah what? and some it's that line is kind of similar to some of the ones that he was doing like in the early 2000s he he definitely will do like it cut me to hurt me through and through cut me to my bone and sometimes he's done the like i don't like to be alone or i've never lived alone yeah it's pretty sad yeah honestly. i mean i mean just and just the idea i've got to find someone to take her place i don't like yeah. to be alone what a what a horribly depressing thing to admit that the person you're looking for another person to fill a slot it yeah, doesn't matter exactly. who they are like yeah, that's just, oh lord uh, so then the third verse i see a lot of people as i make the rounds i hear her name here and there if i go from 10 to 10 i've never gotten used to it i've just learned to turn it off her eyes were blue her <laughs> hair was too her skin so sweet and soft it's so good what the <laughs> hell <laughs> i mean it, that line it's a beautiful line but it seems completely disconnected from the three lines that precede it yeah, and I swear on one of some of the live versions that I watched on YouTube, I swear in a couple of them he says her skin was blue, and I, and that's my favorite one if that's accurate, because <laughs> it just it's so it just takes this weird absurdist turn, even like her hair being blue that just wasn't really a mainstream thing in the seventies mm-hmm. when this was set, so it just seems a little dreamlike compared to the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, and then he wraps up with sundown, yellow moon. I would play the past. I know every scene by heart. They own by some of it. If she's passing back this way, and I sure hope she don't tell her she can look look me up. I'll either be here or I won't. So what, <laughs> what the hell? When yeah. what he was in a mood when he yeah. rewrote this line? <laughs> so, oh my lord! He's just absolutely like cut all ties. Yeah. Oh my lord. Yeah. So I'm not. I. I am familiar with some other versions where some of these lines are here, but mm-hmm. not this, not yeah. this complete. And I've certainly never heard heard him sing the "Her hair was too bit." I've that's completely unfamiliar to me. Yeah, I don't know when this version was written, but it's crazy that that's what's on the website for such a famous album, where people are even more connected to the lyrics than they are in some of his songs. It still is just not, not at all. what's on the album at all. Yeah. And so um, then there's a version uh, part of the, that was part of the rolling thunder set, which was part of the, the uh, rehearsals he was doing. And that's rewritten again. Uh, it's not really a full complete version. It's just kind of them working it out, but again, it's, it's rewritten. And then uh, I have a bootleg. Sorry, Bob. I have a bootleg. <laughs> From some rehearsals, I think he did before he went on the the Budokan tour, mm-hmm. which is uh, this song, but with an incredibly upbeat tune. I love uh, it. you, are you familiar with this one? Yeah, I yeah, I've listened to a couple of them. I mean, I don't, I don't actually love those arrangements for this song because it, I feel like it does completely disconnect the emotion from it. Yes. And t- like it's so severed from the emotion that it's there's just nothing left. But generally speaking, I love the Budokan arrangement, so it's really hard for me to hate it because I, they're so jaunty. <laughs> yes. It's, uh, that oh. it's fun to listen to, but with this song, I was like, this is quite jarring because it just doesn't connect whatsoever. It is, it is such a fascinating 
divergence from what we know of the original song. And it does feature to me, some amazing uh, lyrical turns. And I jotted them down. There's one, it's the thing it talks about, but things are kind of slow. If she's wondering what I'm doing right now, just tell her that you don't know, mm-hmm. which is great. And then our situation, it hurt me to the bone. She's better off with someone else and I'm better off alone. That yeah, is, yeah. Oh man. And like the complete opposite of the one that's on online. Yes. Like, yeah, exactly. And I don't like to be alone. <laughs> He can he can he can bop back and forth between two yeah. completely polar opposite emotions within the same song, uh, and then my 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 favorite is the way the song ends. This this upbeat version again. The dun, 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 dun. It's just the tune of it is so discordant from the words. But if she's passing back this way, most likely I will be gone. Uh, but if I'm not, just let her go. It's best that she stay gone. So harsh. Oh lordy lord. <laughs> it's still not as harsh as the as the live one from the Rolling Thunder tour. No, no. that is the darkest one of the darkest songs I've ever heard in my entire life. The first time that I listened to it, I was like, "Oh, holy shit!" Like out loud to myself, I was like, "This is a man in a very dark headspace." Yeah, he was in a he was all those whole all that stuff around then in the Hard Rain album, yeah. where he rewrote "Lay Lady Lay" with the whole. Let's go upstairs. Who really cares? I mean, he was in a he was in a real mood. He yeah, really, really 76, was. Seventy so. six. The spring of yeah. seventy six is really dark. And in the Paul Williams book, he points out that when he the first time that he played the song in April of seventy six, it was like a week and a half after Phil Oaks had killed himself, and Oof. he was obviously getting some of the heat from that. And he also wrote in his book, what did he write? He said. Uh, Dylan's long, slow breakup with Sarah had obviously reached the fire and brimstone stage. And according to Bob Spitz, he was juggling wife, family, and new girlfriend and going through at least a fifth of bourbon a day. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> so these these lyrics are, are are hard to listen to, to be honest, when I listen, the, when I most recently listened to this the first time that he played it live, because uh, it's just so depressing. It's, if you want to uh... talk about him, I'm always into it yeah i mean again the the first time i'd heard the the this alternate one that again as you say sounds so different from the song the the beautiful you know melodic version on blood on the tracks and then the this budokan one where he's kind of shouting it uh and he's and he's real pissy obviously and he's doing his best to kind of like he's sort of like a whistling past the graveyard kind of thing like he's insisting ah it's best that she stay gone which of course you know kind of it it belies what you're really trying to put across. Cause you're trying to act like anyone who says this is trying to put across that they don't care anymore. Well, of course they care because you're singing about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course you are. You're, <laughs> you don't care about this person anymore. You're not talking about them, but the fact that you're going on and on about how much you don't care. Well, that tells everybody that you really do care. So I mean, it's- yeah. And the, I mean, in Budokan, it's, it's kind of easy to be like, okay, he's not singing this with, any kind of real I mean he's kind of yelling it in the way that he heals a lot of stuff on that album but it's not in a way that I feel like is particularly emotionally resonant mm-hmm. whereas like the two years earlier on the second half of the Rolling Thunder when he played it in Florida it's just so stripped down where it's just the one where it's just him on the guitar and then just really light violin from Scarlet in the background um that one's like the most emotionally wrenching for me. Um, and the, and the, the line that he does in that one 
where he says, if you're making love to her, watch it from the rear. You never know when I'll be back or liable to appear. That Oof. is so dark. Uh, it's just, it's, yeah, it's hard to listen to these and not just kind of see the whole roller coaster of the end of this relationship in every different version. And that's definitely like the low point. And then I feel maybe by 78, he's kind of like cauterized his, his wounds a little bit, or he's just started like drinking it to the excessive point where he doesn't have to think about it anymore. But yeah, the, the April 76 one is, is the low point for me. That is one of the things I find that uh, is so enduring about Blood on the Tracks, uh, even though, uh, you know, I listened to it during, I discovered it and really plumbed its depths during a particularly sort of dark time in my life romantically. And now that that time is over, but I still, you still get so much from it because, and I think I forget what review I saw of this uh, about it, but they said that it, that it, it seemingly touches on every conceivable angle on Mm -hmm. this particular subject, which of course is love, which is, you know, the biggest subject possible, but it doesn't seem to leave anything on the table in terms of, an approach that someone would have when dealing with this subject, which is remarkable for a, you know, uh, this isn't like a triple album, you know, where you're like, Oh, he's got 30 songs. of He's got 10 songs, but it seems to hit everything. And even within individual songs, it, you come away with it feeling like, okay, every conceivable emotion I could feel on this, he's touched upon either in a line or a song or in a tone. And that's just amazing that he can encapsulate all of that. And then it does go back to what, you know, you were joking about that Bob said, oh, these are Chekhov stories, which, you know, again, yeah, sure, Bob. But at the same time, you're like, but he is kind of branching out and putting himself in the shoes of other people because, you know, these are all different experiences a lot of other people would have. Has Bob had all these experiences? Probably. He seems to be a very sensitive man and feels things very deeply. But at the same time, I wonder if he hasn't incorporated things he's heard from other people's lives because it seems so all-encompassing. Yeah, I definitely feel like this song in particular uh, is kind of like a mood ring song where (laughs) the the emotions that you bring into it when you listen to it, I feel like really affect what you take away from it in that moment. And it can be different every time. Like if you're listening to it and you're really angry or upset I think you can take it as that kind of song and sometimes you can listen to it as more of like wistful or nostalgic but not necessarily upset or angry anymore and you can also listen to it as that kind of song like I've heard even on other people that I've listened to people have said like oh this song is really kind of like almost accepting and And sometimes I listen to it and I feel that. And sometimes I listen to it and I'm like, no, he's still pissed. And it's like, (laughs) it depends on what emotion you're bringing into it. Sometimes I feel like was what you'll take away from it. So I think that it makes, it makes the album good for any emotion, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Do you have, is it your favorite song off of Blood on the Tracks? If that's even a fair question to ask. I mean, because it might, as you just talked about, it might change over time. I mean, I have, a tattoo of lyrics from Tangled Up in Blue, so I don't know that it'd be fair for me to say that this is my favorite wow. song on the album. Um, but it's so it's so good. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I have to ask. What are the lyrics? Which are the uh, what are the lines? I have, I have uh, keep on keeping on like a bird that flew, and then I have some birds around it, a pack of wild geese, 
around it. Wow, that is yeah. that is dedication, Leslie. Yeah, well, the <laughs> pandemic made me do some crazy things. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, like I said, it's it's. I won't say this is my favorite song off the record, and, and but it's again in terms of its the album sort of calibration. Mm -hmm. To me, it seems perfectly balanced as to where it is. It's kind of like that uh, the thing about Up To Me, where that song is so brilliant, so brilliant, that you feel like, oh, God, how did that not make it on the record? But at the same time, I can't imagine putting it on the record because that album, to me, exists. It's so perfectly put together that even risking putting another brilliant song on it might throw the whole thing off of its axis, and we don't, we don't, we don't want that. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a. This song is like the perfect transition between Lily Rosemary and Shelter from the Storm, and yeah, it's just like the sequencing is so good, and it just like flows perfectly. The I don't know, like, and it's ten. It's a nice round number. Yep. You had yep. eleven. I don't know if that would work out. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love Up to Me so much, so it, sometimes it breaks my heart that it's not on the album, but <laughs> it's a perfect standalone song for people to discover. Uh, yeah. whenever they discover it you know yeah. it's like a little surprise secret that you get to find out whenever you get deep in this weird bob dylan world of hundreds of songs <laughs> <laughs> so uh we were you know we were talking about the live versions it's only been performed uh 88 times so not a whole lot as you mentioned it was performed in 1976 and then on the budokan tour in 78 and then not again until 1994 uh, and then it's been played sporadically through the 90s and into the 2000s. And then it has not been uh, played again since 2009. And that has been it. So uh, he's not currently singing it on the tour that he's doing the Rough and Rowdy Ways tour. Because there's got to make room for all the Rough and Rowdy Ways songs. Uh, but it feels like something, you know, like like a lot of songs that could reappear uh, at a moment's notice. And of course, it's been covered. Uh, quite ex- quite extensively. Jeff Buckley has a cover, and uh, I mean, the Jeff a- Buckley one is so good. You like that? You like that one a lot? It's. I mean, the way that he just he stretches out the first word to like forty five seconds. It's incredible. I mean, I love <laughs> Jeff Buckley in general, so anything that he does is great. And his co- his other his cover of Just Like a Woman is also so good. Um. Yeah. I mean, I just love him in general. So that's a great. That's a great one. I know Bob Geldof has a song. Uh, I'm forgetting the name of it, but the opening line is, if you see her, say hello. This was um, actually uh, the B-side to Tangled Up in Blue. That's right. Uh, when it was released as a, a single. So, I mean, it got, I don't know how much radio play it might have gotten, at least compared to, to Tangled Up in Blue, but it's a song again. It's like all Blood and the Trek songs. It's gone on sort of to live forever. And it's just this, this perfect little thing. And, you know, it's amazing to think that, he did so many versions of it in New York and he was presumably happy with it. And then it was only because of his brother, his brother, <laughs> which is again, that is chutzpah with a capital Hutz to say, you know what? I think you can do better, Bob. Uh, let's get some. And he was right. <laughs> and he, I ended up being right, but man, I mean, uh, that's kind of amazing. And I don't know. I don't know about you, but like, you know, growing up, you look at this stuff and we're going back to talk about the liner notes being wrong. Like, you you feel like these companies that put these things out, whether they be publishers or movie studios or record companies, like you feel like they must be like, oh, they must be like ultra professional. They have it all together. They don't make mistakes. And then you realize how they put out the record with liner notes referring to a version that's not on the record. You're like, how does that? I know that 
part of the reason they did it is because Pete Hamill's liner notes were nominated for a Grammy. Yeah. And that was, but it's kind of amazing that that, that seems like kind of a big deal. Yeah. That wouldn't somebody I mean, say, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> they never even changed the credits for the musicians on it either. No. So they didn't particularly feel strongly about editing the the notes or the personnel yeah. of the album at all it seems like it seems amazing and, considering yeah. it's like it's kind of a big release you know from one of your major artists here this is kind of a big deal but so yeah it's just uh he said it's a masterpiece of a song it's just gorgeous it it does seem to cover again even within just these you know these couple of verses so many different range of emotions and this feeling of wanting to be kind wanting to be understanding, but then snapping back into kind of your old habits and, and sort of ending with that kickoff, uh, that sort of kiss off of just like, all right. But then he goes into shelter from the storm, which is a much more gentle mm-hmm. kind of approach. And then buckets of rain, which is even more of a kind of case or sort of feel to it. So I said, it's just a blood on the tracks is like you said, it's, it's one of the, it's my favorite and it's such an obvious answer, but it's it's obvious for a reason because the thing is just peerless. I mean, it really yeah. is just peerless. This kind of feels like, yeah, before you get into like the sweeter ending to the album, this this kind of has some of that sweetness and wistfulness, but it, yeah, like you were saying, it does still have that kind of darker side. It kind of reminds me of uh, most of the time in that sense mm. where like the, I feel like the end of the verse is kind of like, undermining what he's saying before you know of like you know she's whatever makes her happy i won't stand in the way but the bitter taste still lingers on from the night i tried to make her stay mm-hmm. um like that kind of stuff i feel like it's it's kind of similar to the end of most of the time where he just ends it with like well most of the time yeah so it's kind of that like mix of emotions of like yeah i'm it's all right i'm fine she's she, she got herself free that's okay and then it's like no i'm still bitter and heartbroken <laughs> <laughs> i can't i've said on other shows I, he seems like he's had a lot of relationships over his life and it it just sounds exhausting it does I mean, it just sounds, <laughs> i've had a handful and i feel like oh that's a lot i'm just uh, you know <laughs> just tired like, just tired I'm just tired you can invest that much all the time and then like having to drag all of that back up again to write about it and rewrite about it. And just like the hundreds of hours that go into each of these songs that you don't see of him and his little notebooks and like editing. And I just, I, it's just exhausting to think about it. I don't know how he does it. Nope. <laughs> still, he's still doing it. Still doing there out there at 80 years old for yeah. Pete's sake. So, okay. Well, that's a sort of perfect segue. Of course. I mean, I've stopped asking people now what song they would want to hear as the Mm-hmm. concert opener because we know what he's singing now and so it's a little bit of the drama has been removed from there so i've changed it to uh, a question uh, courtesy of the uh, twitter handle the pomegranate county irregulars which i've just learned is just one person but yeah. uh, their their twitter handle is a plural so let's keep it mysterious so uh, their question is if you get invited to a bob tribute concert leslie mm-hmm. and you're on first what song would you want to perform um i would probably go with rainy day women because that was the first song that he played at Desert Trips. It was the first song I ever saw him play live. And a lot of people hate on it, but I think it's great uh, because it's not serious and people take Bob Dylan too seriously sometimes. <laughs> and so it's silly. It gets people amped. It's got a sing-along chorus. You don't have to sing it well because nobody <laughs> on the album is either singing it well or playing it well on their instruments. They're just 
going for it and they're like ready to have a good night and that's what you want when you're at that kind of event it's a great way to start it's a party song it's a party song it's yeah. a party song now you said people hate on it do people hate on rainy day women I, I mean i'm i'm not super active on twitter but i am active on the bob dylan subreddit shout out to all my folks on there and i feel like people rag on that song on there a lot and they always <laughs> talk about how it's like one of his maybe not bad bad songs but like not a good song and I think it's great. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. I, I can remember many years ago, uh, boy, this would have been the 90s, and I was walking in a mall, says how old it was, I was in a mall, and I heard, pumped over the Muzak, an instrumental version. Yes. A Muzak version, and I thought, wow, things have re- things have changed. To borrow a phrase, things have changed. That not only has Bob Dylan been converted to Muzak, but a song... You know, that, stoner song. a stoner song that is suitable to play, uh, to get people to engage in commerce. Like that, yeah. <laughs> that just sounds like, wow. It's, that's just like a perfect symbol of capitalism. They will take anything and turn it into something that benefits them. Absolutely. Yeah. Neutralize it. It's all grist for the mill. It's all, you know, it's but all whatever, grist. as long as he got paid. Who cares? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We want Bob to get, get a couple of shekels for that. So, yeah, exactly. well, Leslie, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this song. I very much Thanks appreciate it. I, I appreciate you volunteering to be on. It's just great talking to you. So uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the, the internet? Um, I'm on mostly on Instagram. My handle on there is my first name and then the first part of my last name. So it's Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, Palf, P-A-L-F. I have a Twitter and I've kind of started dipping my toe into Bob Dylan Twitter, but uh, I have not on there super often. So if you want to find me, if you want to find me on there, you'll find me, you know, I'll be around. I'll like people's comments, but I don't really post anything myself. So I'm a bit of a lurker. That's, that's not not a bad idea. Yeah. So uh, again, thank you so much for for doing the show. It was great talking to you. Thank um, you. Uh, of course, everybody, if you want to find back episodes of the show, go to our website, finewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to Pod Dylan on any podcast of your choice. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, let's go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, Sebastian Krogh, George Doherty, and Maki Meckel for their support of Pod Dylan. I very much appreciate it. That's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, listening, and we will see you later. Bye. And one of the things I enjoyed about Blood on the Tracks as an album was that it was very simple. That's the way things are, really. They are basically very simple. But a lot of people tell me they enjoyed that album. I, I, it's, it's hard for me to relate to that. I mean, the people enjoying the type of pain, you know? It is a painful album. Well, perhaps maybe the word enjoy is the wrong word. Maybe a better word is to say that you're moved. I was moved by the album. You know, there were things that I could relate to in Mm -hmm. that album that made sense to me. You made sense to me. Let's play If You See Or Say Hello, because I think that's a very beautiful song. Very pertinent.